0: Welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus Who live and work in the city of Glasgow And it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives So as well as listening to this podcast We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning Or get involved in one of our missional communities Which are across the city throughout the week Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Good morning. Thank you. Let's get the morning back. Love it. Uh, So my name is Emma, like David said, and I'm part of the the church family here. And it's my privilege today to... uh, preach us out of the building. Uh, (laughs) So if nobody comes back next week, um, it's probably just my preaching, don't worry about it. Um, So one of the things I love about Scotland is how easy it is to get out into the hills. I've spent many a happy day clambering up and down mountains, I've seen some pretty great views, and I've had a few unexpected experiences. There's been days where I've had beautiful weather like this and seen a phenomenal cloud inversion. And then there's also been days when it's been a little bit different and I couldn't really see in front of my feet. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark today, we're going to hear about another mountaintop moment. It's the kind, though, where it's an experience that I've never had in the hills. Mark chapters 9 and 10 today are where we see lots of Jesus teaching his disciples and a few healings as well. But we're going to focus in on two particular moments that uh, kind of bookend the chapters. Technically, the second one doesn't, it's not quite the end, but you'll forgive me. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 9 with the transfiguration of Jesus. And the the scripture will be on the screens, but it's Mark chapter 9, reading from verse 2. After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us. So good, I'm going to break the microphones as well. So verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. I don't know about you, but I've never had that kind of unexpected experience in the hills. I wonder what it must have been like to witness something so uncommon and so kind of Weird, to be honest. How would you respond? Peter responds in the way that we've come to expect. He speaks first, thinks later. Peter is the the brash disciple. He's the bolshy one. He's the one that makes lots of mistakes, yep. But he's also the one that gets to walk on water. He sees something so unexpected happening and he blurts out, let us make three tents. The very next verse tells us that he didn't know what to say, but that doesn't seem to stop him from saying something. He speaks without knowing what to say, as if it never occurs to him to be silent. I can identify with Peter here. His first instinct is to preserve the moment. He doesn't really understand it. He's not sure what's going on. It's not what he expected but he does grasp that there's something important happening here, and he doesn't want to lose the moment. I've had a camera in my hand for as long as I can remember. Much like Peter, I love capturing moments that I don't want to lose. But there's a danger in this too. The writer and philosopher Susan Sontag published a series of essays in the 1970s that explored the idea of photography's role in in culture and politics and protest, and she said this, many tourists feel compelled to put the camera between themselves and whatever is remarkable that they encounter. Unsure of other responses, they take a picture. This gives shape to the experience. Stop, take a photograph, and move on. How many of us have witnessed something unexpected or remarkable, and our first instinct has been to try to preserve it, to capture it. Unsure of what else to do, we speak first, we photograph first. I remember walking into the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican for the very first time. I'd spent hours already wandering around, looking at countless other works of art, taking pictures, taking it all in, not really understanding most of it, because art's not, I don't quite understand it. I like looking at it. Um, But I'd already been looking at all of this beautiful art. And then as you start to get towards the Sistine Chapel, you start to see signs that ask you not to take photographs inside. You can photograph anywhere else you like, as much as you like, for as long as you like, but please don't take pictures in here. The chapel is crowded with tourists like me. I look up and I see Michelangelo's famous painting of of Adam and God reaching out to each other. And then I'm distracted by a camera flash. And then there's an iPad blocking my view. And then another flash. Surrounded by beauty, the first instinct is to raise an iPad or raise a camera. We witness to wonder and in an effort to preserve it, in an effort to capture it, we end up missing it. Peter witnesses this unexpected moment and he rushes to preserve it. Is there an experience that you are trying to preserve? to hang on to? Have you ever had a moment that you want it so badly to remember in the future that you missed out on enjoying it when it was actually happening? Verse 7 carries on in the chapter to say, and a cloud overshadowed them. I'm not going to lie, on the days when I'm in the hills, I don't want the clouds to overshadow me. I'd quite like to have a nice view, thank you. But in the Old Testament, a cloud is a symbol of God's presence and his protection. If we just think back to the Israelites in the desert or Moses on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, Exodus 19 verse 9 reads, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. Peter has this unexpected experience that he doesn't know what to do about, so he rushes to preserve it for the future. But what if instead of preserving it for the future, what if God simply wanted Peter to experience his presence in the moment? Unsure of how else to respond, Peter rushes to put up some tents. I rush to pick up a camera. When all God wants is for us to know his presence. I wonder if you've ever had an unexpected experience that's left you unsure what to do. Is there a place where you're longing for more of God's presence and protection in your life? Before we skip down to the second moment we're gonna look at this morning, Let's just have a quick note on what's happening in between these two stories that bookend Mark. Fiona reminded us a few weeks ago that, that Mark's gospel is pacey. There's lots happening. It moves quickly from one story to the next story to the next. There's not any downtime in between. In between the start of chapter nine and the end of chapter 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching them about power, about other apostles, about sin, about divorce, about faith like a child, about riches. And all of this is happening on the way. Jesus isn't sitting still in one place. It's happening as he travels around. In other words, it's probably quite inconvenient timing. But that doesn't stop Jesus from inviting the disciples into his way of life. Jesus is on the move then as now and he's still inviting us in. If we had time to explore all of these stories in detail, I think we'd see how it's not only inconvenient timing for Jesus, but probably quite inconvenient truth for the disciples. Jesus is constantly flipping the norms of what's expected. As I was reading through chapter 10, it seemed to me like the running theme was that the Jesus way of life is not what we would expect. Children are not valued by society, but they're held up by Jesus as examples of the faith. Riches are not a sign of God's blessing, but actually make it harder to enter the kingdom. True power is not expressed through domination and control, but through a servant heart. Jesus is overturning everything that the disciples know, everything that we think we know. Is the spirit overturning something in our lives? Is there a belief that we've held, an opinion that's no longer serving me? The way of Jesus is not what we expect. And then we come to Mark chapter 10. We're gonna read the story of James and John's request of Jesus. Um, and it's from Mark chapter 10 verse 35 to 43 and the words will hopefully be up on the screen again then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask what do you want me to do for you he said they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John kickstart this conversation in a way way that kind of reminds me of Peter. They're bolshy, maybe even a little bit arrogant. I wonder how many of us would be bold enough to tell Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Maybe in my quieter moments, in my more private moments, I might say that, but it's not something we hear from the front very often, is it? What I love about this, though, is how Jesus' response is not dismissive, but inquisitive. What do you want? Is there a question that you wish you could bring to God, but you're afraid that it's too irreverent or arrogant or maybe just not even that important to God. James and John bring their question to Jesus, asking to sit at his right and left hand in glory. I got to attend a wedding recently, and the people who sat closest to the bride and groom were their their families, their bridesmaid, their um, best man. Because the right and left hand are seats of honor at the banquet. And so when James and John come and ask Jesus for these seats, what they're really saying is, we want to be the ones most honored. We want everyone to know that we're important in this movement. It's a not so subtly veiled grasp at power and authority. Jesus responds with kindness and curiosity again. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He doesn't dismiss their request, but he takes them deeper into it. They give this glib response, like, Yeah, of course, we can totally drink that cup, no problem. Though, much like Peter on the mountaintop, they've no idea what they're talking about, they don't understand what's happening. I wonder how often I have answered with a glib reply to Jesus when he'd want to invite me into something so much deeper. The seats of honor next to Jesus have already been assigned. You know, if we read on in Mark, who do we find at the right and left hand? Jesus sits in glory and it's on the cross. When Jesus is in his glory, it's on the cross and at his right and left hand are the thieves. Once again, the way of Jesus is not what we expect. When the rest of the disciples hear about James and John's request, they're indignant, they're angry. And I don't think it's because James and John asked for this honor. I don't think it's because James and John wanted to sit at the left and right hand. I think it's because they asked for it first. I think they're angry because they didn't come up with this idea before anyone else. James and John want to know that they have authority They've been traveling with Jesus, walking the roads with him, listening to him teach, and they're ready for the glory moments. They're ready for the victory that they think is coming. But Jesus is doing something different. Jesus is turning our understanding of power upside down and inside out. Verse 45 reads, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve Jesus offers us a new way of wielding power, and that's through service. The way of Jesus is not what we expect. These two passages, the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain and James and John's request, they they kind of bookend these chapters of Mark. And in both passages... The disciples don't really understand what God is doing. Lots can happen, and we can still be confused. Jesus can spend days, years, months teaching us about sin, relationships, faith, divorce, power, money. And we can still get it all wrong. The disciples didn't understand what God was doing there on the mountaintop and they still don't understand what God is doing here when he's speaking to James and John. But our confusion does not negate God's presence by the cloud or his calling to service on our life. The way of Jesus is not what we expect. And so what are we supposed to do? What do we do when we don't know what to do? I pray that we would learn to trust in Jesus' presence, to trust in his presence of the cloud, and to move in his way of power, which is the way of service. And so, may you know the confusion of a God who is not what you expect. May you know the presence of Jesus in the midst of your confusion. And may you move in the power of the Spirit who compels us to love and serve the world around us. Amen.